Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning where we can gather to study your word. Um, God, we, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you that you have made who you are known, that you have imparted knowledge, you have imparted truth, you have imparted wisdom for our good. You are the one who uh, chooses, you are the one who sets apart, you are the one who speaks, you are the one who delivers. All things come from your hands. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to marvel at that this morning as we think about uh, just all the gifts that you've given us in your wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would see it as a blessing beyond all comparison, uh, that in it we would find life and that uh, we would understand just even the workings of the world around us in light of your plan and your purposes and your ultimate work of redemption for our good. Lord, help us to see Christ and our need of him and to delight in him with all our hearts. Lord, we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 13, and you can find it on page 528 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Um, I encourage you to have the, the Bible open in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. Uh, we'd love to give you a Bible. So over at the welcome table, we have some story ESV Bibles that are there for you. Please take one on your way out. We would love to give that to you as just a gift for being here. <clears throat> now, friends, I, I hope that you're taking notes this morning because this morning we are going to discover the secrets of the universe. If we lay hold of the truths that are found in this passage, we will discover the greatest and most precious treasure, so superior, so far above any other thing that no other desire can compare to its ability to bring all satisfying joy to our souls. In this passage, there is pleasantness and there is peace. There is never-ending blessing, and in finding it, we find everlasting life. In this passage, we will discover secrets that lay bare the very foundations of the universe, and to behold it is to behold the operations of the cosmos. In this passage, there is honor, there's beauty, there's security, safety, and freedom from fear. In holding to this passage, in holding to these truths, they will inevitably eliminate poverty and need. They will ultimately put an end to all hostilities and violence and pain and loss. There will, it will result in harmony and oneness, uniting God's people together to love one to another the way that God intended for us to live, the way we were created to live, freed from sin, living lives that delight in knowing God and in being made known or knowing and, and knowing, <laughs> being known and knowing God of the universe, the one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who has allowed us life and breath and everything. What this passage is speaking of is a reversal of the curse of sin, a renewing of hearts and minds to live again in God's wisdom. It is a returning to, and in fact, a perfecting of what life was like before our first parents rebelled against God. Now, if you read this passage before you came here this morning, you might be asking yourself, what, what are you talking about, Chet? I mean, this, this passage just seems like another somewhat redundant 
description of the blessings that come from wisdom. And I would say, yeah, that's true, minus that whole redundant bit. But if we understand this passage in light of God's big story, in light of the the one story of all of Scripture, then we will see it for what it is. And, And this passage gives us a clue in verses 18 through 20, but particularly in that one little phrase, a tree of life. In that, we have our connection to see that something bigger is going on here. There's something, it points to so much more. Uh, This is what uh, connects this wisdom that God offers us through the Proverbs to his overall plan and purposes for the history of all creation. And so what this passage is telling us is not that wisdom is just a good idea. It would be of advantage for you to take wisdom. This is not telling us that wisdom is optional, that you can take it or leave it. No, this passage is telling us that God's wisdom is the key to how life works. It's the key to how life works. Either we lay hold of the tremendous blessings of wisdom that are beyond all comprehension, or we find eternal death and condemnation. You take your pick, but there's no in-between. This blessing of wisdom is that essential. It is life itself. Now, as, now, as, I, now as, I was, as I was preparing, I was hoping to be able to verses 13 through 35, but as I was trying to get that done this week, there's just too much there because this passage talks about just how wisdom is the precious ground of creation and of uh, the creation of life and of eternal life in God, but also how that... Truth results in our freedom from fear so that we can then live as God's community. And so what I want to do is I want to connect it to what's coming next. And so I want to give you the main idea for verses 13 through 35, and then I'll give you the main idea for verses 13 through 20, which is what we're going to look at this morning, okay? And so the main idea for the whole of verses 13 through 35 is that laying hold of that which is most precious frees us from fear to live as God's community. Laying hold of that which is most precious, verses 13 through 20, frees us from fear, verses 21 through 26, to live as God's community, verses 27 through 35. But again, that's way too much to handle, so we're just going to look at verses 13 through 20. And so the main idea of those verses is that taking hold of God's wisdom is the greatest blessing of life. Taking hold of God's wisdom is the greatest blessing in life. And so for context, let's read Proverbs chapter 3 verses 13 through 35. It says, "Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. 
and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in the way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid, and when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of, a, of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason. When he has done you no harm, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Now, in this passage, we are urged to lay a hold of wisdom. Wisdom itself in this passage is described as a blessing that is beyond compare. Wisdom is a tree of life. Wisdom is the foundation of the universe. This is the secrets of the universe that it is unpacking for us. And so we want to look at these in turn. So first, in verses 13 through 15, we see that wisdom is a blessing beyond compare. Now, friends, we spend our lives attempting to find or to gain blessings. We do it almost every moment of every day. We try to, might try to find blessings in our relationships. Perhaps you want to gain the blessings or the approval of your parents or maybe your friends or your spouses or, or maybe it's people of the opposite sex. We spend our lives seeking to lay hold of the blessings of success in our jobs or in our classes or with our talents. We want people to bless us for what we contribute to bettering them or bettering the things around us. We might seek the blessings of fame or recognition. We we want to be seen as worth something. We want to be indispensable and valuable in the eyes of others. We might seek Blessing of long life that is filled with pleasantries that are maybe travel, many, many experiences, or maybe, maybe just simply I, I want to have a peaceful and restful life. Or perhaps we seek to spend our lives pursuing the blessing of material gain. Because after all, a happy life is a full life with a whole lot of stuff. Friends, have you ever considered just how much of your life you spend on seeking blessing in one form or another? I would say that seeking blessing is one of the primary objectives of our lives, that we do it almost every moment of every day. We we virtually every waking moment we spend in pursuit of blessing. We operate out of an almost unconscious recognition that we were meant for more, that our lives were meant for more than what is currently here, what we currently have. There's some blessing that is missing. There's something more that we have not yet attained And so we spend our lives just trying to find out what that is. I think it's written in all of our hearts. Well, the God of the universe knows this about us. And because he is loving 
He holds out the secret of true blessing to us. And it comes in a form that we would not expect. Now look there at verse 13. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Now there's an overlap in these terms between wisdom and understanding, and so he uses them interchangeably. But look down at the second half of verse 18. Those who hold her, that is wisdom, those who hold wisdom fast are called blessed. And so the secret to true blessing in this life is to lay hold of wisdom. That's it. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're striving for. Now, when the Bible speaks of wisdom, it does not mean worldly knowledge. It doesn't mean head smarts. It doesn't mean just knowing how the world operates and understanding how to use what you've learned to achieve your own pursuits, your own ends, right? It's not just intellect. It's not simply knowing um, how the world operates. Again, it's, it's uh, in, in the biblical terms, wisdom is having skill in godly living, right? It is ethical and active as well as intellectual, Wisdom is knowledge in action that produces good and godly results. It's knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have received in order to live a more godly life. Or as one author puts it, wisdom is skill, expertise, and competence that understands how life really works and how to achieve successful and even beautiful results in ways that are intended to honor God. The goal of wisdom is that you might achieve a life of beauty and significance so that at the end of your days, you will have accomplished something that is worthwhile and is lasting. And friends, who knows better what that is than the God who made you in all things? God is telling us that the secret to true blessing, the secret to true happiness is finding wisdom. It is skill in godly living. It's living in the fear and admiration of the Lord. It's living a life that loves the Lord with all our hearts for all that he is and for all that he has done. It is gladly and reverently submitting ourselves to him to put his will and his desires, his plans first in our lives Because we know that his ways are right and his ways are best and he is the giver of every good and perfect gift and so I can trust him no matter what my circumstances or situations are. I know that his way is best and that he is not going to withhold what is truly good from me. And so we follow him. We seek to display his nature and character, his purposes and promises in all that we do. Now, friends, I wonder, does this sound like a bit of a letdown to you? Right? So, so you're telling me that the secret to, to blessing, the secret to true happiness, to true fulfillment is living in the fear of the Lord. Wah, wah, wah. Right? When we look at that, it just seems so unappealing. Well, friends, that's because by nature we have no taste for it. We are like kids who want to eat junk food that's going to make them fat and rot their teeth because we have no concept of the benefit of a well-prepared food of a well-rounded diet. Now, this is a horrible 
analogy, and so I'm just trying to make it work, but I need to emphasize the fact that it's a well-prepared meal, okay? It's going to be good. We're not just going to go walking by a garden, pull a carrot out of the ground, start gnawing on it with a dirt seal on it, and somehow deceive ourselves into thinking, boy, this is so much better than ice cream, because it's not, okay? It has, there's preparation that goes into that. This is not automatic, You see, we've all rejected God and his ways, and we've tried to live our lives without him. We've developed different tastes, tastes for the world, love for the world. We have, by nature, we all have this congestive heart failure that that wants to only eat candy. And so, like we saw last week in John chapter 3, Kyle pointed out to us, God has to first do the work in our hearts to make us alive in Christ That's the first act of preparation that must take place. But when that happens, friends, our tastes change. Our desires change. Our affections change. We want to live differently. We we long for different things. But even still, after that takes place, that work of regeneration takes place in our hearts, we still have to seek it. Because look at what it says there. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. The one who gains understanding. Friends, what that means is it's a process. It's an ongoing process of seeking and laying hold of wisdom. It's a process of growth in maturity that longs for good food that brings life and health. And in the process, that wells up to true and eternal blessing. But it's not going to come like this. It's not going to come all at once. You're deceiving yourself and you think you can just pop it into a microwave and and get it. It's going to be good. I love the microwave. Phyllis tells me it kills all of the nutrients. We can't do it that way. We've got to do it the hard way. Okay? But the one who holds fast to wisdom is blessed. That word blessed in the Greek is makarios. This is where we get our word makarena from, right? When we're happy and we're blessed, what do we do? Well, we do the makarena, right? Hey, makarena. Uh, at least that's what we did 20 years ago. I don't know. Is that still popular these days? I, 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 I never really got the whole thing. Um, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, though. When we're feeling happy and we're feeling blessed, we do a little happy dance, right? Uh, we, we express the affections of our hearts in dancing, and we, and we do it with poems and, and with songs because we are rejoicing and delighting in the blessings that we've been given. Well, friends, verses 13 through 18 right here, it's a poem or it's a hymn that summarizes all the blessings that we've seen so far in Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 3. It's expressing the joy of knowing the beauty and blessing of wisdom to us in song. And so this fear of the Lord, this wisdom, it's not meant to be a drudgery that chains you down and breaks your back and keeping you from living a truly full and happy life. It's in fact exactly the opposite of that. When we truly understand it for what it is, wisdom is meant to make our hearts sing with joy and with gladness. It's meant to lead us to true happiness, true fulfillment as we rejoice in God because wisdom is far, far better. This is why it says there in verses 14 and 15, for the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is more 
profitable than silver or gold. There is nothing that you can desire that is worth more. She is far more precious than jewels. No longing, nothing that you've spent your life in pursuit of can compare to what you find in wisdom. Finding wisdom, living in the fear of the Lord, living lives that God had made us and intended for us to live is the only way to find true blessing in this life. Far better than silver, gold, or precious jewels. Nothing you desire can compare to finding wisdom. Which is why chapter 2 verse 4 says, we are to pursue it, we are to search for it as for hidden treasures. It's worth so much more. I love the way that Ray Ortland describes this truth. He's comparing uh, wisdom to money. It says, wisdom is skill at living life well. Money is not. Right? Money can't give you skill in living life well. Right? It says, money can put food on the table, but wisdom puts laughter and fellowship around that table. Money can buy a house, but wisdom truly makes it a home. It says, money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom wins her heart. Friends, the Beatles figured out long ago that money can't buy me love. But the problem is they never figured out what could. Wisdom leads to God, who is himself love. And it is through wisdom that we learn how to love and we learn how to receive love. If we go about our lives pursuing our every desire apart from wisdom, even if we're pursuing love apart from wisdom, we will destroy love. But the wisdom that God gives as we pursue that, it creates love. Friends, this is why nothing that you desire can compare with the wisdom that God gives. Where pursuing money and fame Success or approval, it takes, it consumes, it destroys. And even when you find it in those moments where you find it, it does not satisfy. Wisdom, on the other hand, gives. Wisdom creates. Wisdom results in life and in soul-satisfying blessing. Your hearts are made happy in the eternal, unchanging, and all-sufficient God of the universe. And out of the overflow of that blessing that you have received in him, you are then able to bless others. And so following, pursuing, finding wisdom, it multiplies where everything else destroys and takes and consumes. When we find wisdom, everyone gains And God is recognized and cherished for who he truly is. And so that's the first secret of the universe. That wisdom is a blessing beyond compare. Therefore we are to seek it with all our hearts as for hidden treasures. Because it is of far greater value. The second secret of the universe from verses 16 through 18 is that wisdom is a tree of life. 
Verses 16 and 17, again, speak of the prosperity that comes from wisdom that we've seen earlier in chapter 3. We spent the last few sermons kind of unpacking what this prosperity was. And so there in verse 16, it says, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And just as we saw in chapter 3, verse 2, following wisdom will add length of days and years of life. In her left hand are riches, just like we saw in verse 10. Barns filled with plenty, vats bursting with wine. Wisdom bestows honor or favor and, the good, and good success in the sight of God and man, like we saw in verse 4, to those who lay hold of it, that those uh, who pursue wisdom and find wisdom gain respect and glory. There's a weightiness or an influence that they have in the eyes of others, but not because of something that's in themselves, like I can catch a football or I can sing a song really well, or hey, I happen to be able to pretend really well in front of a camera. But because it's something that really, really matters, we reflect that which is truly worthy of worship. Verse 17 says that all wisdom's ways are pleasantness. They are a delight. They are beautiful and lovely. We want to do them. Just as we saw there in chapter 2, verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your souls. There's something that's just pleasant and enjoyable about the pursuit of wisdom. It's not a burden or a drudgery. Wisdom rightly understood and rightly lived out is a blessing to us. It is a delight to our souls. I mean, can you honestly say that about any of your other pursuits for blessing? I mean, all those other things that you go after, all those things that you seek to achieve in this world, I mean, have all of your pursuits of success or wealth or status or power brought pleasantness to your soul? I mean, this breaks down to very, very, very practical things in everyday life. Take, for example, this. I really, really enjoy competing for sales, especially when the other guy wins. Or how about this one? I love to cram for tests. It makes me want to be a student forever. I take so much delight in frantically scrubbing my kitchen floor on my hands and knees because a pristine house brings me abiding gladness to my soul. Has anyone ever been there? Has anyone ever said that? No. Look at people like they're crazy. They start talking like that. All right? This is not speaking of those pleasant moments when things actually do work out according to your plan. You know, like when you actually make record sales for the year or you happen to ace that class or you get that, that, that enjoyment of your clean house for 47 seconds until your kids come back in and destroy it all over again, you know. Now, this is talking about the ways. It says all of her ways, all of her pursuits are pleasantness. I mean, can you honestly say that about any of your pursuits of earthly blessings apart from God? That the way, that the pursuit itself is a delight. Then there in the second half of verse 17, it says that all wisdom's paths are peace. And just as we saw back in chapter 3, verse 2, the path of wisdom leads us to wholeness and well-being. 
Through it, we find peace and we are made complete. And so, friends, in all of your earthly pursuits, even when you gain what you were striving for, you got the job, you got the girl, you got the money, you got the glory, whatever it is you were competing for, did you find yourself at the end of it complete and whole? Truly satisfied and glad. I don't mean like temporarily happy, woohoo, take a picture and then I'm miserable the next day. I'm talking about glad, joyful, happy in God. Or was there something still missing? Was the pursuit pleasant? Is it resulting in peace? Friends, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we say, no, it can't. It was never meant to. Wisdom, on the other hand, we are told in verse 18, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Just like in verse 13, those who hold fast to wisdom are given the name blessed. Why? Well, because wisdom is a tree of life. So long before it was this weird Brad Pitt and Sean Penn movie that they showed at the art theater, the tree of life, is, it appears at the beginning pages of human history in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Okay, So I need you to kind of put on your Bible nerd hat with me for just a minute while we go through this so we can understand what this concept is. But I, trust me, it'll be worth it in the end. Okay, So just hang out with me for just a minute. In, chapter, in Genesis 2 and 3... When God first created man, Adam, he placed him in the Garden of Eden. And among all of the trees in the garden, there were many trees in the garden. Two are mentioned by name because they were really, really important. There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Adam and his wife Eve, they were able to eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. One command that God had given them. Now they could eat of the tree of life and experience eternal life in a pure and loving, intimate relationship with God forever. But as the story goes, they chose instead to rebel against God and do the one thing that they were commanded not to do. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to live their lives without him as if this is their world and their God. They wanted to make the rules. They wanted to know what is good and evil. They thought that they could just kind of live off. They would be better off without God. And so they took of that tree and they ate. And as a result of their sin, all mankind was put into a tailspin. Well, all creation was put into a tailspin. But all mankind then would suffer pain and loss, sadness, death, hardship, futility, Things would be rough. They would be separated from that pure and intimate relationship that they once had with God. They were cast out of the garden, and as a result of their sin, they would now strive for the blessing that they once had with God, and that they would seek to satisfy that longing with any and everything that the world had to offer, but they would never be able to find it. They would be left empty. And in Genesis 3, 22 through 24, it says that God had to kick them out of the garden. And God had to kick them out of the garden because they were now sinful. And God is holy. He can have nothing to do with sin. For them to remain with him in the garden would be death for them. His holiness would destroy them. 
But also God wanted to protect them. He removed them from the garden because if they were to eat of the tree of life in their sinful state, there would be no hope for them. They would be left in that sinful, separated, fallen state for all eternity. And so in order to protect them, to, be, uh, uh, to enable this plan of redemption that would allow for them to be reconciled back and restored back to their original relationship with God, God removed them from the tree of life until something would be done. Now the tree of life, that's, that's Genesis, that's the beginning, right? Now the tree of life appears in two other books of the Bible. It appears four times in Proverbs, and it appears four times in Revelation. Now, before we look about what it means here in in Proverbs, I want us to fast forward to the end of human history, or the human history as we know it. I want us to understand that the, what the tree of life holds for our future because when we understand the bookends, when we understand the beginning and the end, it helps us to make sense of the middle. It's just a good reading strategy for you. Good, good Bible reading strategy as well, okay? So beginning and end. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so what that passage says, the one who conquers, that's the one who perseveres in faith in Christ until the end, even in the face of many trials and hardships and temptations and persecutions, to the one who perseveres in the faith to the end, the Holy Spirit will allow them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay? The next time we see the tree of life is in the very last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22. It appears in verse 2, verse 14, and verse 19. We're going to just look around at the section with verse 2. But in this chapter, what's happening is the apostle John, he sees a vision of that paradise that he mentions in chapter 2. Uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And in that new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the very center of God's new creation. And it says in verses 1 through 5, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer Will there, will, uh, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and he, they will reign forever and ever. Now, if I can summarize what we've just seen so far. At the beginning of history in Genesis, the tree of life made it possible for man to live in holy, intimate fellowship with God for all eternity. But because of their sin, they were no longer allowed access to it. But in the last pages of the Bible, Revelation tells us what will happen after Christ's work takes effect, after Jesus returns and judges all things. And there we see that those who persevere 
through faith in the perfect life and in the sacrificial sin-covering death of Jesus on the cross, as they trust in his life-giving resurrection from the grave, they will be restored to God forever. They will be healed and purified of their sin to eat of the tree of life and live forever as God's people in perfect fellowship with God forever in his paradise. We have a returning to what was there at the beginning, but a perfecting of. It's even better. So that's the beginning and the end. That's how the tree of life is described there. Now, what about the middle? Well, here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, it says that wisdom is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now what these passages are saying is that wisdom and the fruit of righteous living the fulfilling of godly hope and a gentle tongue give life and they promote holiness and unity with God just like the tree of life did in the Garden of Eden. And it foreshadows the coming restoration that we will see in Revelation. It anticipates and it foretells of what is to come. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So when we lay a hold of wisdom, it overturns the effects of sin and we receive the blessings that we were always made to receive. Blessings that we saw at the bookends of Genesis and Revelation, the beginning and end of our story. Perfect, intimate, holy fellowship with God forever. But how are we to lay hold of this wisdom, this tree of life? Because the people of Israel, they had Genesis and they had the book of Proverbs. But still, when you reach the end of the Old Testament, they were not reconciled to live with God forever. In fact, we still needed 27 more books of the New Testament to tell us how that was supposed to happen. Well, for us to receive the tree of life, we must first look to another tree. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, the law came, God gave us the law, not because we could fulfill it, but because God, the law helped us to see that we could not fulfill it. We could not be righteous. We could not be holy on our own terms. And so it became a curse to us. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. You see, the tree of life, it comes to us in the shape of a cross. To lay hold of wisdom is to lay hold of Christ who, 
according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, says, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Just a few verses later, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it says that God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's just what we saw last week. Whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, what this proverb points forward to, we now have through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? In Christ, we have wisdom. In Christ, we have received eternal life. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sin and we are being made righteous. In Christ, we now have hope. In Christ, we now have access to our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And in Christ, we have that glorious future to live forever with God in His paradise. All of that is ours in Him. But to receive that, we must turn away from our sin from our foolish attempts to try to gain God's blessing on our own terms and in our own ways and instead look to him. Friends, let's not continue in the same pattern, the same sin patterns of our first father. Let's not commit the iniquities of our fathers and choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. It makes no sense. Let's repent of our sin and hold fast to wisdom, the tree of life through faith in Jesus Christ. Because friends, there is no greater blessing than we can receive than that which we have already received in him. All earthly blessings that you would pursue ultimately find their fulfillment in him. They were all pointing to him. So let us hold fast to wisdom. And so we've discovered the first two secrets of the universe from this text. Wisdom is a blessing beyond compare, and wisdom is a tree of life. It is only through Christ that we can receive true and eternal life. But we find a third in verses 19 through 20, that wisdom is the foundation of the universe. It says in verse 19, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, created and sustains all there is through his wisdom. Friends, the universe did not just happen. Okay? We are not here simply because our prokaryotic grandparents wiggled out of a primordial pool somewhere between 3.5 and 4.5 billion years ago out of sheer luck. No, the God himself has told us through his word that he created all things and that he used wisdom as the tool to create all that there is. And we're going to look at This in greater detail in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. But in short, that passage tells us that the wisdom that God offers us precedes all of his creation. And with it, he made all that there is. Friends, by wisdom, God founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Now, notice that that's present tense. It's ongoing. We're going to come back to that. But friends, do you know what a gift it is 
to live in light of the fact that you are a created being, that you know the origins of all there is? Do you know just how profitable that truth, that wisdom is for your life? When you understand the origin, it helps you to understand the purpose. When you understand the purpose, it helps you know how to live. When you understand how to live, you know the direction to which you're going. It is a life of blessing and purpose and direction. Guys, it is such a gift to know that God founded the earth by wisdom. You know, wisdom is, is really the opposite of the Wizard of Oz. In the Wizard of Oz, the wizard, he first appears like this awesome and terrifying huge green apparition of a floating head with this booming and dominant voice. There's all this fire and smoke, and you're just pretty much sure that that before long he's going to shoot lightning bolts out of his eyes and just kill Dorothy and the gang, right? And that's the way you think about the Wizard of Oz until Toto pulls back the curtain, and what do you see? This old, cowardly, weak man. But wisdom is the opposite of the Wizard of Oz. When we look at wisdom, at first it seems totally unimpressive. Perhaps even repulsive. But when God pulls back the curtain, we begin to realize just how awesome Wonderful, this blessing that God offers us really is. How foundational, how life-giving, how startling and overwhelming, how beautiful, how marvelous, how utterly amazing God and His wisdom truly are. The all-sufficient God of the universe in His grace and kindness is holding that out for me. Are you kidding? It is glorious. At this very moment, even now, God is sustaining your life so that you can receive this wisdom that the God of the universe is holding out for you. Your heart is beating right now. You are drawing breath, not because you have that ability in and of yourself, but because he's doing that for you. And he's saying, here, I've got your life in my hand. Now here, take my wisdom. He didn't have to do that. But he does. God upholds the universe. He he sustains all that there is by the word of his power. And right here in verse 20, we see God sustaining grace in the giving of rain. It says that by his knowledge, the clouds drop down the dew. It's profitable for us to just sit and meditate on the wonders of creation. All right? Uh, just, just think about this for a minute. The wisdom and order and grace of God in do. Do. Right? John Piper puts, he's at his best at, at this. And, and so he talks about rain in a Thanksgiving meditation from a few years ago. He says, picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East. So you're a farmer in Israel. You're far away from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. But from where? Well, the sky. Wait, the sky? 
Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. You see, water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? Well, how much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27 million 878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's heavy. Well, how does it get up in the sky and stay there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What does that mean? Well, it means that water sort of stops being water for a while so that it can go up and not down. Oh, I see. Uh, Well, how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's condensation? Well, water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.0001 and 0.001 centimeters wide. That's really small. Well, what about the salt? Salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. So it's salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt and then carries it for 300 miles and then dumps it out on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it because if it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles a billion pounds of water down in little drops. I love that. Piper's a master in helping us just to see the awesome wonder of the world around us just in the giving of dew. I mean, imagine that. You see the wisdom of God in one rainfall, on one crop, in one square mile of one single farm, on one tiny speck of land on the planet. Now blow that up to try to consider every rainfall on every square mile of the planet for the entirety of the earth's existence. And that's just rainfall. Friends, this is not the product of chance or chaos, but of an ordered and intentional wisdom of, <clears throat> excuse me, of God that upholds and sustains not just rainfall, but the entire universe. Now, If God, by his wisdom, can work that wonder in nature, imagine what God's wisdom can do in you. We are of such feeble faith. And in light of all of these tremendous blessings, how could we then negate such a great salvation? Friends, to reject the wisdom that God offers us is to reject blessing that is beyond compare. To reject the wisdom that God offers us is to reject the opportunity to live forever with God in his paradise, to live the lives that we were created to live. 
To reject the wisdom that God offers us is to reject the very foundation of the universe and that which sustains our lives. Friends, it is not an option to take or leave God's wisdom. It is the difference between life and death. The choice is either find tremendous blessings beyond all comparison and unimaginable joy in receiving and submitting to God's wisdom or eternal death in refusing it. You take your pick. The choice seems obvious. But friends, we give it up a thousand times a day. I mean, honestly, this is the hardest part of my job as a pastor is when you speak with people and you point them to truth and you plead with them to see the wisdom of God's created order and what it means to obey and follow and how that's meant for blessing and good. And and friends, I'm saying this to myself too because I, I struggle with this too, right? But to see people instead reject it to choose futility and death. And we do it all the time. God's wisdom says, keep your way far from the forbidden woman. And yet I see guys running toward her, whether that be physically or on the internet. God's wisdom says, keep yourself from the love of money. It cannot compare to wisdom. And yet people turn a blind eye to their true heart's affection for money. And they give their lives in pursuit of the all-American dollar. I see God's wisdom say that the pursuit of glory and success and recognition and favor in the eyes of men. It's all vanity. It's all empty and futile vanity. And yet we run back to the mirror. We run back to social media. We run back to our jobs and we say, maybe this time, maybe this time I'll see my worth. I see God say, listen, I display my manifold wisdom through the church people say, I don't really need that. See, Christ saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And yet we run the other way and we try to find rest in our labors and in our plans and in our agendas and all of those things that weigh us down and our false notions of what bring us comfort and it crushes us. So I'm pleading with you, as I'm pleading with my own heart, choose wisdom. Listen to what its text is saying to you. Choose wisdom. Choose life. Look at what God is offering you. This is a blessing beyond all comparison. This is a tree of life. This is the foundation of the universe. Don't see this as disconnected from your daily life from where you want to live and what you want to do and any other thing that you would give yourself over to a thousand times a day because it's not. It's intimately connected to all of it. Don't choose what is foolish. Don't choose what will lead you down the path of death and just assume that you're gonna be fine. Don't presume upon the grace of God. Pursue it. I mean, why would we trade this glorious eternal blessing for perishable rubbish that cannot satisfy? It is foolishness, my friends, utter foolishness. 
So let's take a hold of God's wisdom because it is the greatest blessing in life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. God, help us to see that the wisdom that you offer us is beyond all comparison. That there is life, that there is a deep understanding of purpose in it, that you have intended it for our good, that there is joy and gladness and blessing that is found only in living in the fear of you. God, we know that we are so tempted to fear other things more than you, that we're so tempted to to try to find blessings in the little things that you give rather than in yourself. And it never satisfies. It never brings delight. And yet we continue to pursue it day after day after day. Oh God, I, I pray that you would in your kindness, break our hearts, that you would lead us to repentance so that we would gladly receive the blessing that you have given us, that we would truly find wisdom through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to see the futility of our ways and the beauty of knowing and being known by Jesus. Because he is far, far better. It's in his name we pray. Amen.